This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Design Build Hunt podcast presented by Whitetail Partners. Here we cover all things whitetail property design, habitat improvement, and hunting strategy. Let's change your property for good. Welcome back to the Design Build Hunt podcast presented by Whitetail Partners. I'm your host, Josh Rayley from Whitetail Partners, Georgia. I've got Jake from uh, Michigan on the line here. Jake, how's it going? Doing well. How are you, Josh? Doing well, doing well. We've also got Brennan, who we introduced last week. Brennan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Well, guys, uh, it's a good time, I think, to uh, sing the midwinter blues. Now, I don't have that here in Georgia. Uh, granted, it has been a little bit cold here, uh, but we don't quite have the level of cabin fever that uh, you guys in New York or you guys in Michigan. Uh, we lived in Wisconsin for a couple of years, so we kind of get it a little bit. Um, but, you know, southern Wisconsin wasn't too terribly bad. But, uh, you know, cabin fever starts to set in this time of year. We're, we're chomping at the bit. We're ready to get going on some habitat projects. Uh, I know I've got a lot of clients who are kind of in the pipeline who are ready to get going, but, you know, as far as they're concerned, they wish I could have been there last week, you know, doing their, doing their property. But, uh, hey, everything's got an order, right? We've got to move through and serve people when we can. But uh, I'm curious what you guys are doing to beat the cabin fever or, or maybe just make the most of the time. I mean, we just got a bunch of snow dumped on us. Not exactly easy to be navigating the timber uh, I talked to a guy not very long ago who was in the woods during one of those time periods when it was really, really difficult to navigate and ended up severely injuring one of his legs from, uh, you know, cutting in a very, very difficult time. So not quite time to be doing some of that chainsaw work if you're up in the north and there's a lot of snow, um, you know, just yet. So what are you guys doing this time of year? Maybe just to get by and make it to when you really can get out there and get after it. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And like you said, winter finally showed up here. 
across the country. It, we had such a mild winter for so long, and I think yeah, last week, it, depending, I guess it's uh, early January when that came in. Depending, yeah, it's the 17th when we're recording this, but it was yeah last week is when that storm finally moved in, and we just got dumped on here in Michigan. You know, we I think we got 26 inches uh, here where my house is located, and uh, so your kids have been out of school for a couple of days. That so everyone's kind of uh, cooped up. A lot of people lost power, but yeah, there's a lot of things that that we can be doing right now to, to stay productive. You you mentioned uh, maybe staying off the or you know leaving the chainsaw back. It's not really safe to, uh, right now with, with all the snow on the ground to be dropping trees. If something went wrong and it starts dropping the wrong way, you know it's harder to get out of the way or if if a mistake were to happen. So it's it's best just to leave the chainsaw down, uh, especially when dropping larger trees. But there, there are some things that we can be doing to to make sure that our time is productive. And and for me, I, I really like to take this time to to scout my previous improvements and really scout areas of my property that maybe I, I haven't uh, put any improvements on yet. So right now, because it, it snowed last week, we've had maybe five days of snow or six days of snow on the ground. Every time a deer has stepped foot on my property now for the last five days, I can see exactly where that deer came from and where he went, you know, where that deer mm. bedded down. Everything is frozen in time. You know, as, as long as you're not getting, you know, s snow over and over again, which we haven't been, it's just kind of been one snowstorm. And then now we just kind of been, it's been sitting there. I can see exactly where these deer are going. And that's really valuable information. I can see how are these deer using the improvements that I put in, in the previous off season? Are they taking the trails that I want them to take that I'm trying to strengthen? I'm trying to encourage them to use. Are they using the bedding areas that I, that I cut? And if they're not, why not? Are they, so I can see if they're going in there, where are they turning around? You know, where, which areas do they not want to go into? That might, that might tell you something. It, it might just be that that deer turned around or, or it might be saying that, Hey, this area is too tight. This deer doesn't feel safe going in that spot. And if you see the same thing over and over again, you know, they, maybe it's time for an, an, an adjustment, but it's a, it's a really good time right now just to scout your property because all of that sign is, is again, frozen in time. And, and you can really get a lot of real-time information about your uh, on your property. Right. And you bring up a point that I, we've alluded to, right? We've, we've mentioned it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, but it's so, so, so important to not to view habitat improvement on your property as a one and done kind of fixed thing. But part of that means you're going out there, like you said, at times like right now and seeing, okay, what's working and what's not working? Let me walk this travel route. Where is it leaking where I really don't want it to? Or this bedding location, is it being used? If not, why not? This food plot even, is it still providing food for the deer? If not, what can I do differently next year if my goal is to have a crop in here for the deer in the dead of winter? You know, what am I trying to accomplish with the improvements are they actually accomplishing that? Great time to kind of take an inventory of that. Brendan, what are you doing this time of year to, uh, to keep the, the anxiety at bay, I guess you could say, when it comes to just looking at your property and being ready to get out there? Yeah, so um, about the chainsaw, I am, I'm running that thing as much as I can uh, unless, unless we have those conditions that we're talking about. Um, right, luckily, right. right now, we still only have four or five inches of snow, so I, that's something I will be doing. Uh, this actually just this past weekend, I was out with the chainsaw and it was just as that storm was moving through our area. 
And I tried to get out there early to beat the wind. And I started notching my first tree and I looked up and the top of the tree was swaying. So I, I, mm. I decided to put it down. Um, it, I did not want to at all, but I decided to put it down. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely running that chainsaw. It's one of the cheapest uh, improvements you were gonna, you can make. I was about to say easiest. It's probably one of the more uh, strenuous things you can do if, if you're doing a lot of it, but um, it's one of the cheapest things you can do for your property. And like Jake was mentioning in a, in a previous episode, it is such, it, the browse is such a big part of their diet this time of year. It's about 80% of their diet. And if you are not getting food down to deer level, let's say six foot and below, um, your deer herd is going to be struggling. And the easiest way to do that is to control the amount of sunlight hitting the ground. And that is a perfect time of year to do it. Now, let's say that there is a lot of snow um, and I'm a little bit heartbroken because I can't get the chainsaw out. I'm going to be out there on the property doing postseason scouting. And I like to take um, the conditions at that current moment kind of into context. You know, if we do have snow, um, okay, that's great. But let's look at that and let's see how the deer react when there is snow on the ground. Um, if they aren't using my bedding areas that I have created in the past, well, why is that? Um, a previous episode, we talked about thermal protection. You know, if that if that bedding area doesn't offer that thermal protection and we have a lot of snow on the ground, there's a very good chance that's why they're not using it. Um, another thing to point out, I love to look at the actual specific beds when there's snow on the ground. Light, it'll help you understand where deer like to bed. And what you're going to find most of the time is they like to bed with some sort of view, whether that's on a hillside or just a slight knoll, um, depending on your topography, they like to have that visual advantage. So uh, that's that's also very important is to understand that. Now, if there's not any snow, that's going to tell you more of what was happening back in the fall. You're going to be able to see deer trails that have been um, there for probably years, uh, depending on food source and stuff like that. But just that's a, just a point I would like to make. You take everything into context, your certain conditions that you have right now. What type of food source are they hitting at that time? That might, you know, persuade the, the kind of sign that you're seeing on the ground. Right. And, you know, I, I've got to throw this out there, guys. Next week, it's going to be 63 here. Uh, actually, I think there's one day at 66. So you know what? I'm going to be out there running the chainsaw too. We're probably going to uh, probably going to start burning here pretty quick. Uh, we've got some disking that's going to be going on to sort of promote some uh, early successional uh, regrowth going on. So Jake, did you just did you just pull up the uh, the forecast? How do you feel about that? Is that it'll be 23 here? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's going to warm up there too. Yeah. Right? It'll it'll yeah, be we're going to get up to 23. At least the yeah, salt will good. start working on the roads. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know what? One thing I, I will say, though, you know, this time of year is a great time. It, you know, maybe it's a rainy day here. You know, here in the south, when we get these big fronts that come through, we don't get three days of snow, but we might get three days of rain back to back. And it's just a cold, drizzly, miserable rain, the kind you do not want to be outside in. Uh, a couple of things that come to mind for me. One, especially if you're a, an owner of a smaller piece of property, right, or, or your property has certain restrictions where, hey, you know, because of my access, I know that with an east wind, my property is really, really difficult to hunt well. You know, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in the one or two locations that I can get to on an east wind. What you need to be doing then is finding permission on other local spots or going to find some public land right around you where you can actually make a hunt if you want to make a hunt. That is going to help you be a better manager of your property because it's going to keep you off of your property during times when you shouldn't be on it during the fall. So right now, spend some time behind the screen, pull up the Onyx, look around, find landowners around you. Maybe you can find new access to your property. Maybe a neighboring landowner will grant you permission right now when it doesn't sound like you're just out there trying to get 
you know, hunting permission, but rather hunting season is over and past and kind of it's a distant, you know, thought of the fu- into the future about hunting season this year. Or maybe we can be talking about, um, you know, for here in the South, uh, turkey seasons aren't too far off. That's an excellent time to begin to develop relationships with landowners that you may want to have some kind of access to their property. A great first step is to say, hey, do you mind if I turkey hunt here? Now, I know in, you know, Wisconsin, where I lived for a couple of years, if you asked a turkey hunt on a property, they're like, yes, please. Can you come? And how many of them can you legally harvest? I want you to take all of those. Um, because the numbers are just like that here in Georgia, mm, you ask the turkey hunt, you might get chased off the porch with a, with a shotgun, uh, because they, they take their turkeys very, very seriously, but finding new properties, finding new permission, finding new access to your property is huge this time of year. Uh, the next thing that I'm doing, if my trail cameras are not out monitoring my ground, which most of them probably will be about half of them, maybe a little less than half of them may have come in right towards the end of the deer season. So I'm going to be doing some things right now. I'm going to be cleaning them out, going to be making sure that there's no bugs in different places inside the electrical components. I'm going to be putting some uh, lubricant on the seals. That's one of the ways. I've got $25 cameras from Walmart that have been running for six and seven years strong. Well, how in the world does that happen? Well, cameras are cameras are cameras are cameras. The seal on that camera, the weatherproofing on the camera, is what makes that camera run for the long haul. So keep those seals lubricated very well every year. And next thing you know, cameras start lasting a really long time. You know, just just the way it works. Start spraying a little bit of permethrin on them, and bugs stop crawling inside. Well, boy, next thing you know, your cameras are lasting you six or seven years. So that's a couple of things that I'm doing when I'm inside and can't get uh, can't get outside. But like I said, I'm with you, Brennan. I'm firing up the chainsaw. Uh, I'm walking properties just like you, Jake, and just trying to see, okay, what are the deer doing here? But uh, along those lines, guys, I'm curious if you have been on your property lately and found something that maybe surprised you or maybe didn't work. Jake, we went into your bedding location uh, that we've talked about on a previous episode. They like they weren't using it quite how you anticipated. You had a plan for how you were going to fix that. But anything else, any, any improvements that you've installed that – just didn't turn out the way that you you wanted it to. I'm curious what we can learn from that. That, that would be the, the number one improvement that hasn't, or I, I guess a section of it. So it wasn't the entire bedding area. It was just a section of it that it was just too tight. I dropped a lot of mature red oaks, and that was just an, a section of it that I, I didn't get a lot of time to start actually taking out the, the, the trunk of the tree. Uh, so it was just a lot of down, it was just a lot of junk in the way. It was tough for me to get through tough for my kids to get through and like if it's tough for us to get through those deer aren't going to do it so it, it made sense as to why they they weren't uh using that a lot um i guess what I'm trying to think of something that maybe surprised me on on the property man that's a good question i didn't really think about that one but <laughs> well, um, you haven't had a lot of time to be out there yet just yet either scoping things yeah, out so but like I, I do a lot of scouting like I've, I've had this property for a year and a half now and I have done a lot of scouting up until this point. So there, I, I know how these deer move through the area. I've got really defined pinch points just from topography and like some low land areas with that standing water. So how these deer move, it, it's very consistent with how they should move. And, you know, I, I just try to really build upon that and, and try not, not to make them do things that they don't want to do. Mm. Um, 
I'm trying to like there's I guess one thing that surprises me is I don't find more beds in uh, what I would think would be a naturally attractive bedding area. That, that's one thing that surprises mm. me. I, I guess it, it, not much I not much control I have over this, but just the deer population, I guess, in my area, it surprises me that I don't see more deer than I do. That's, right. Yep. So that I would say that, that that's very surprising to me with the, with the quality of the ha- like I go on properties with very poor habitat and there's deer sign all over the place it's open hardwoods but there's deer sign everywhere you can tell that they're struggling to find food you know they're they're hitting those those undesirable species which tells you that they're just scraping at the bottom of the barrel for nutrition but like on my property i put a lot of trees on the ground i've got a lot of browse i've got a lot of really thick cover i've got i've got a lot of food as far as food plots go and i guess what's surprised me uh, thus far is that i haven't seen more deer like it is mm. the population in my area is not what would have what I would have thought it would have been. It just so for one reason or another that that still kind of is uh, stumping me. And it might just right. be the, like my the neighbor across the river from me. He's lived there for a long time. He mentioned that a few years back there was a huge EHD kill. So we live on a river. And so okay. there's a lot of times when you get into those areas there, you can get that midge and, and there, I guess for a couple, like there several years or a couple of years ago, there was a big kill. And a couple of years before that, there was a big kill. He said that he couldn't even go outside because there was this dead deer floating in the river. It smelled so bad. Mm. So it, it, uh, I don't know if that has something to do with it, but there's yeah, definitely, I, I'm surprised that I don't see more deer sign or, or more, right. more deer in, in the area. That, right. that, that'd be I, something that surprises me. Not necessarily I, habitat improvement related, just property sure. and general related. Sure. Well, I, I was going to, you know, posit the hypothesis there that maybe the deer just heard that Jake, the deer slayer moved into the neighborhood and <laughs> yeah. they decided they were like, you know, we don't care how good this ground is. We're going somewhere else because it's we know what can happen. So when we <laughs> were going to move, like that's like, this is, could be a completely separate topic, but we decided we were going to move. Get, we wanted to, we had a really great property, our, our previous property. It was one of those that had the potential to be like a nine out of a 10. Mm. It's just like, I bought that for deer hunting. That's what it was for. It was for deer hunting and it had a house on it. So I wow. can live there. And so yeah. my wife was really happy about that. But then we decided you know, after we, but it was far away from family. And then it goes, our, the kids mm. are getting older. Grandparents are asking us to like, hey, you should move back closer to us we want to watch the soccer games we want to watch the football games you know we want to be be closer to the grandkids and so it's like well i have to have something with property i can't just not have property so we kept looking kept looking we found this place that was really close to everybody and it it looked like a really awesome family property it, it had a lot of cool things that we'd our kids would really enjoy and they'd be, have a great childhood growing up on this property when i walked it for the first time i this is not a joke I didn't see a single deer track. Whoa. Not one. Did you panic a little? <laughs> I just said, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was just one of those things like, uh, am I, like, do we really want to do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't oh, know. Man. So I, I didn't that... see it. Not a single rub, not a single scrape, not a single deer track. It was, and we walked it in March. There was no snow. So you'd still be able to see the scrapes. You'd still be able to see some historical sign with rubs. You it was kind of wet ground. You'd you'd be able to see tracks. Yeah. So I mean, there's way more deer here now than when we bought it a year and a half ago. But I I guess I'm just surprised that I haven't seen more. 
So right. it, it's a, right. it's trending in the right direction, but I guess I'm, I'm just, I just wish it would go faster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Brennan, anything, uh, anything surprise you or anything that you're, you know, as you're walking one of your properties that you're saying, Hey, I intended for this to do, to do this. The deer didn't really do what I thought they were going to do in response. Yeah, I think I have uh, one for each of those. I'll go for the, the surprise first. Um, this year, I was surprised at the amount of food that we had left in our food plots. Uh, talking about, mm. again, cabin fever and how to get out of that, one of the best things to do postseason is if you are planting food plots is to assess those food plots, see where they stand, uh, how much food is left in them. Did they reach your requirements and your goals for that food plot? Um, you know, were you trying to feed the deer for the entire winter? Or were you trying to just have, have a nice food plot for to hunt over? Um, on our property, there's not much ag ground. The majority of it is, you know, a lot of hay fields um, where obviously farmers go and cut off uh, hay for their, for their cattle. But uh, so we are pretty much the, the primary food source for these deer in the neighborhood. And I was very surprised on how little food we had left. Like I said, um, with the acorn crop that we had this year, we plant about four acres of corn. And as of right now, we have maybe 10% left. I mean, we are very, very low and we have a lot of winter left. Where last year we had, again, the same amount of corn, but we went into the spring with 50% plus of that corn left. Um, now the only wow. thing I can relate it to is last year we went a little bit heavier on our dough harvest. That's the, that's really my only guess. Uh, and our corn did not establish quite as well this year. Um, so those are two things, but that just goes to show all of our listeners here. I mean, this is something you have to adapt to and, and take notes every single year about your property and literally take notes because you think you'll remember and you trust me, you won't remember. You've got a lot of stuff going on in your head. You need to write this stuff down um, that way you can look yeah. back at it and, and reassess. There we go. Yep. See? That's great. I've got my little notebook right here. This is, this, this holds all the secrets. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. So make sure you're writing that stuff down. Um, then come, you know, next planting season, come in the spring, I'm going to be able to reassess that. And you know, what do we need to do? Uh, on our property, we plant like 10 acres of food plots, which is, is quite a bit for us. And so I can't up the level of, amount of the amount of food that I'm planting on the property. So maybe we need to reassess our dough harvest and maybe we need, do need to take a few more dough. Um, so just, you know, take your notes and, and go year by year. And at the end of it, you'll come out um, on, the, on the plus side. So I guess one thing as far as the other question, uh, something that did not work on the property, similar to Jake's, um, it was a bedding area that I cut a little bit too thick, I would say. I had a lot of stems breaker, um, so it was an area where I should have used kind of a, a diverse cutting, and I'll try to explain that the best I can. Um, these trees were you know, five, six inches in diameter. Most were red maple, maybe some ash here and there, and I went in and I tried to hinge cut quite a few of them in, into piles, you know, to where I'm kind of segregating that small half acre bedding area into different sections. And what ended up happening was I, I hinge cut too much. Okay. There was way too much cover on the ground to where the deer just felt way too secluded and back to deer like to bed with a view. So what we notice is, you know, this, this cutting was down on a flat and it, right behind it, the, the hill rolled up and it actually worked out good is because the deer laid up on top of that hill and looked over top of the cutting that we did um, just because they didn't like to feel confined down where all those hinge cuts were. Uh, so what we've started to do is, is use a diverse type of cutting. So I like to go in there and maybe I will hinge cut a few trees and, and create some sort of barricade or wall to segregate it. But the trees in between those pockets, I want to go in and I want to either complete cut and remove and, and get out of there or add to that pile. Um, or I might go in there and hack and squirt or girdle and spray using a diverse cutting to make sure that you have instant side cover on the ground, 
but not too much to where the deer are going to feel confined. Um, you know, that mosaic type uh, style cutting is going to give you the best results. Um, if you're looking for diverse habitat, you need to use diverse habitat techniques to obviously create that. That's extremely important. Right. Very, very good. Well, guys, anything else that we need to leave folks with? This this has prompted in me, I think, an idea for another episode. I want to talk about our biggest habitat fails. So if you want to hear that one, you're going to have to tune back in in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I'm gonna, I want to wait till we can get the whole crew on here because I want to hear. I know between, between uh, the seven of us or so, we've made a lot of big mistakes. So I want to hear some of them. So, uh, but anything else you guys want to leave people with tonight? I think we're good. There's a lot of things that we can cover right now that guys can be doing. Like I'll, I'll just, we won't get into it, but there's two things that I'm doing right now as well is you, you mentioned Josh, your trail cameras that are, that you're kind of bringing in. You can start talking or working on your inventory for next year, you know, see which bucks survived and start putting those in mm. folders and yep. start uh, backtracking and looking at pictures from this previous fall, try to pattern those deer. Also, you mentioned talking with neighbors to potentially gain permission. For me, I'm, I'm talking with my neighbors, but it's not necessary to gain permission, but it's it's more to, uh, here in Michigan, a lot of guys start what are called whitetail cooperatives. And, right. and that's, that, that's uh, you can only, with, with habitat management in your property, you, you really try to control what you can control, but really you, you can only do so much depending on the size of your property. That's, that's just real life. And so if you really want to maximize, send your property to the next level, as well as the area to the next level, you have to have it's if you, the more neighbors you can get on board with sharing similar goals as you, the, the higher your goals can be. So if, if you have a lot of neighbors that are, are not on the same page, you know, you, it's going to be more difficult for you to accomplish your goals. But if, if you can get a lot of guys on the same page as you, it becomes a little easier. So a lot of guys and myself included, we start what are called the you know, whitetail cooperatives where we get a lot of landowners. We, we start, communicating with each other after the off season and just try to share different habitat tricks or tips like implementation techniques, how to make this area better for hunting. We share trail camera pictures with each other. You know, this is the deer that we're seeing, you know, we're probably going to pass on this one and and not not every, you don't need every neighbor to get involved. It's, but if you can get a majority of the landowners that surround your property involved in a cooperative, uh, just, just, uh, you know, like-minded people trying to accomplish a similar goal, you can really see the hunting in your area uh, improve because you, you know, you're not going to really get the DNR to uh, cooperate a lot of times with regulation change. So you have to kind of take things into your own hands and, and see if you can just make the area better yourself. But again, that could be a completely separate episode as well, diving into whitetail cooperatives and, and what you can do just from within the neighborhood to improve your deer hunting. Yeah, I just wrote that down. I was like, that's an episode. Because we, we don't have a lot of that in the South. We have loose agreement or, you know, loose understandings of, oh, yeah, that's that's Jim's place. I know Jim, you know, doesn't shoot small deer. But yep. other than it, that, it, that's that's usually where it ends. It's huge up here. And it, I would say it, it, there's a fear that if you share information with your neighbor, then he's going to, I don't know why you why there's a fear, but like the people will think, oh, he's going to trespass and go kill my buck. But like mm. we take a different approach with those cooperatives. We share as much, inf- not we don't share the patterns of the deer, we don't share where he's bedding, but like we will share pictures. You know, this is the buck that we're after. You know, this is, a, this is what we're gonna be targeting. You know, this is a deer that we're not targeting. And if enough people are on the same page, they'll know like, hey, there's that, you know, basket eight. And a lot of guys up here will say, well, if I don't shoot it, my neighbor will. Well, if you know that your neighbor's not shooting that deer, then maybe mm. you'll pass. 
right? So yeah. it's it's just uh, sharing that information to hopefully uh, help help these bucks get to the next age class by knowing that you have more neighbors on the same page as you than you might think. What a powerful tool for management. We'll definitely have to do an episode on that. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us this week. Brennan, Jake, thanks for coming on the show. We'll catch you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you found this helpful, do us a favor and leave us a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at whitetail underscore partners, on Facebook, Whitetail Partners LLC, on YouTube by simply searching Whitetail Partners, or online at whitetailpartners.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.